Preachers can fall into the rut of preaching on topics that keep their congregations pleased. You know, you keep them happy and they'll keep coming back or something. This sermon series is different. Instead of falling back on the familiar stories that keep us smiling on our way out of church, we are confronting some of the greatest controversies that face the church. There is a better than good chance that I will say something from this pulpit over the next two months that you won't agree with. And if that happens, I'm sure it will, I encourage you to stay after worship. Join us for lunch. We're going to have food every Sunday for this sermon series so that we can continue the conversation. It should not be a lecture that goes one way. Because we can only grow as Christians in community. And that requires some honesty and some humility and a dialogue. So today we begin with the separation of church and state. Jesus says, if the world hates you, be aware that it hated me long before it hated you. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The church and the state have a very long and a very complicated relationship. Like a number of romantic couples from popular TV shows, think Ross and Rachel, Sam and Diane, Jim and Pam, Luke and Lorelai, and even Kermit and Miss Piggy. The will-they-won't-they they question of their relationship has happened over and over and over again. The church and the state, it begins during the time of Jesus. A wandering and poor Jew developed a following that threatened the power dynamics of the Jewish leadership in the Roman Empire. His actions might have appeared innocuous, feeding the multitudes by the sea, healing the blind, walking on water, but what he said, it scared those who were in power. You know, things like, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. It sounds like the beginning of a revolution. And for living and healing and preaching the way he did, Jesus was nailed to a cross. But three days later, he rose from the dead. When the Christian church began in the wake of Jesus' resurrection, the power of the good news of God's triumph over death spread throughout the region, and small groups gathered together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Acts and Paul's letters, they help us to see how this story traveled and it took hold of the communities where it was received. Lives were transformed, the gospel spread, and the kingdom of God began to be incarnate. But whatever the church stood for and whatever the state stood for were very different. Most of what we know about the early church comes from Scripture, which is to say we know what the church thought about the church. But we do have some idea of what the state thought about the church long ago. Pliny the Younger was the governor of a place called Pontus from the year 111 to 113. During his rule, he wrote to the Roman emperor, his name was Trajan, because the Christians in his community refused to worship the emperor. And this is what he said. They, the Christians, asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault of error, the reason they weren't worshiping the Roman emperor, had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn, 
and sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as if a God, and bind themselves by an oath, not to some crime, not to commit fraud or theft or adultery, not falsify their trust, not to return a trust and call upon to do so. And when all this was over, it was their custom to depart and assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary, Oh, these first Christians, they were strange with their singing songs to a man who had died on the cross and sharing things like bread and wine and promising to be good and trustworthy. How bizarre. And for nearly 300 years, they were persecuted, abused, and killed for following Jesus. The state, Rome, resented the Christians and their weirdness. They refused to bow down and worship the emperor like everyone else. Instead, they believed some guy named Jesus was Lord. And for that, they were killed. But then things changed. 200 years later, the year 312, something happened that forever affected the relationship between the church and the state, and I cannot overemphasize this point enough. It changed everything. The story goes that Emperor Constantine was preparing his troops for a battle against a rebellion from within the empire. And on the night before this battle, he had a vision in the sky of the Greek letters Chi and Rho, which looks like an X and a P. And with those two letters, he heard the words, In this sign you will conquer. From the vision, Constantine ordered all of his troops to be marked with the sign Chi and Rho, which looks like the symbol that you have on the right-hand page of your bulletin. Chi and Rho are the first two letters of Christos in Greek, which is Messiah. Constantine took it as a sign that God wanted him to fight in the name of Jesus. And after doing so, Constantine's army won a victory like none had ever been seen before. And days later he entered Rome, and he was the undisputed emperor. The battle of victory gave him complete control of the Western Roman Empire and paved the way for Christianity to become the dominant faith. The very next year, Constantine issued something called the Edict of Milan, which made Christianity an officially recognized and tolerated religion in the Roman Empire. Within a dozen years, he called for the Council of Nicaea, which was the first attempt to attain a consensus in the Church through an assembly representing all of Christianity. From a vision of two letters in the sky, Christians went from being persecuted, tormented, and killed to being part of the state religion. Everything changed. And now we fast forward to today, to the United States, to a country founded on the principles of religion, religious freedom and tolerance and the separation of church and state. After centuries and centuries of the church and the state commingling to a frightening degree, the founders of our country decided to move in a different direction. After being persecuted for their different religious convictions, they envisioned a new way forward. Recognizing that this place was and continued to, continue to be a melting pot of differing ideologies, the forefathers articulated a political system whereby the state could not control religion, nor could religion control the state, and that these two things would find their fullest potential while being completely separate. So Constantine's vision of conquering in the name of Christ was over time of secularism began. That's your history lesson this morning. But Paul, writing to the Christians in Rome, said, be subject to the governing authorities. That is to say, follow the laws of the land, 
pay your taxes, and be good citizens. Paul's words echo through the centuries, and they reverberate here in the sanctuary this morning. Do as your country tells you to do. If you're called to serve in the military, go to war. If it's time for a presidential election, vote with your conscience. If the government says there's a separation of church and state, well, then keep it that way. And Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me long before it hated you. If you belonged to the world, the world would love you as it is own. But you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world, and therefore the world hates you. Jesus' words echo through the centuries, and they reverberate here in the sanctuary. Following me means acting like me. If people are being persecuted, you are to love them with every fiber of their being. If the government starts belittling people for what they believe, you need to stand up for the oppressed. If you feel called to live like a disciple, then prepare yourself to be hated by the world. These two scriptures from Romans and John contain the tension of what it means to be Christian in the United States. We constantly wrestle between being subject to the governing authorities and pushing back against the governing authorities. We wrestle between what it means to love the world and what it means to be hated by the world. We, as disciples, live in the world. But we are not of them. We may be citizens of the United States. Our truest citizenship is in heaven. Years ago, there was a civil case raised against an organization for displaying a nativity scene on public property. Because of the separation of the church and state, a concerned citizen believed the nativity scene should be removed. However, when the matter was brought to trial, the court ruled in favor of leaving the Christian display. The reasoning was that because the nativity scene was next to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus, and Frosty the Snowman, that it had every right to be there. And Christians across the country rejoiced when the matter was settled, and they celebrated what they thought was a decisive victory for the church. What was it? Should we celebrate a time when the nativity scene is one of many during a holiday? Or should we savor its sacredness? Do we want the nativity to be the same as holiday cartoons? Or do we want it to symbolize the profound incarnation of God in the flesh being born in a manger? A few years ago, there was another civil case raised against a baker for refusing to bake a cake for a gay couple's wedding. Because of the freedom of religion, the baker believed it was within his right to refuse service to people who went against his religious convictions. So the matter went to trial. And the judge ruled that the baker unlawfully and illegally discriminated the couple for their sexual orientation. Christians across the country protested when the matter was settled, and they vehemently opposed the ruling. Were they right? Should Christians support the freedom to pick and choose who they serve? Or should they follow the command of Jesus to love? Do we want the church to be connected with religious liberty that isolates particular people for who they are, or do we want to go against the conventions of fanatical Christianity and love all people? The separation of church and state is a good thing because for too long the state controlled the church. The 
Constantinian Revolution was responsible for spreading Christianity across the globe, but it also led to some truly horrible things, like the Crusades, like the Inquisition, like the murder of six million Jews in Europe. Constantine co-opted the church for the role of government in such a way that it limited the qualities of what makes Christians strange, and instead it made them normative. Gone were the days where people lived by the convictions of Christ, and instead they went to church because the state ordered them to do so. But the era of Constantine did not die when our nation was founded here. Though we articulate beliefs like the separation of church and state, it still says, in God we trust on all of our currency. Children still pledge their allegiance to the flag and country under God every morning before school starts. And we still have many courts where we must place our hands and upon a Bible. And we are asked, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you, God. So perhaps now is the time, the best time, to recover those qualities that will make the world hate us. And not the qualities of religious bigotry and prejudice that for too long have dominated the state's view of the church, but the qualities of Christ-like love that drive the state crazy. Like refusing to worship and bow down to our country and its politicians as if they were gods. Instead, we worship the risen Lord. Like gathering together on a day set apart to hold ourselves accountable to the strange things like honesty and truthfulness and peace. Like sitting together before a table of what the world thinks is ordinary bread and wine that becomes the extraordinary gift of body and blood. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We might have national citizenship, but our true citizenship is in heaven. We are strangers in a strange land. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever.